Now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Ray sits down with acclaimed actor and producer, Kevin Sorbo. Don't think you know everything, because you never will. I'm still learning at the age I am now. And I thought I knew everything at 15, and 20, and 25, and 30. And each five to seven year period that went by, I look back at that age and went, I didn't know anything And I'm learning all the time. Well, hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. And uh, we'd like to welcome you back to another edition of the program. If you're a regular uh, subscriber to the program, you know this. The analogy we like to use here at Bottom Line Faith is this is where we like to lift the hood and we tinker around in the engine of Christian leadership. We literally get the chance to travel around the country and we interview top thought leaders who are followers of Christ, CEOs, business owners, entrepreneurs, athletes, coaches, and of course, entertainers and actors. And that's our guest today and I'm really really excited I'm in Thousand Oaks California and it's a beautiful day here and I am with one of the most well-renowned and successful actors in the history of television in Hollywood I am with Kevin Sorbo Kevin welcome to Bottom Line Faith it's good to be here all that people you talk about in the interview go why are you here talking to me <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, good, it's good to be here welcome to my humble abode well you, you, you're just so kind and, 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 and gracious to host us so um, I've got uh, three kids teenagers and I all was right. trying to explain to them who I was going to go interview and so I know you're humble and those sorts of things but uh, you've had an amazing career your kids don't know me we're getting we're working on it they, well what they do they know you as the guy who died and God's not dead okay that's all that they, movie they, well you they know, know what that. Hercules is out there on Netflix yes and, and Andromeda is out there too so I got, I got to brag to your kids Hercules was the most watched TV show in the 90s so they should watch that show we passed Baywatch in 176 countries and I think it's on two or three cable outlets as well but uh, it's still it's still out there which is amazing to me and I get a lot of kids those in that age group that stop me now because yeah, yeah. it's new to them right you know but the, it was a wonderful seven-year chapter of my life down in New Zealand I had a great time well I, I used to love watching the show and I have to admit as a young guy you, you had some pretty nice looking characters oh, yeah. that would oh, yeah. show up on set once in a while right <laughs> I think every two weeks they sent on a very beautiful woman for me to work with so it was a it was a great dating service my wife doesn't like that but but that's um, how you that met that's how I met my wife we did we met at the end of season five yeah. season four I'm sorry I take that back and um I hit it off right away yeah hit it off right away I it was, it was interesting our first date well the first time the very first scene we did together was was the end of the movie and it was a kissing scene and it was really just a goodbye kiss and uh, so I walked up to her and I said, so Sam, um, do you want to rehearse this kissing scene? <laughs> and she laughs at me and, and says to uh, Annie, our makeup, my makeup artist, she goes, Annie, do you got any mints? And she goes, sure I do, love. And she goes, not for me, it's for Kevin. So I, I said, touche, touche. So I talked her into a date and we went out and I pick her up in the car. And um, of course, I'm, you know, over there they drive on the opposite side of the road. And yeah. I got used to that pretty quickly. But I get a kick out of everybody that I, I take up that you know that wants to go out and do something the first time there. They always go to my side because I think that's a passenger side. Like, oh, you want to drive? <laughs> but so I did it to her. She gets in the car and I had country music on. She goes, "Oh, you like country music?" I said, "Yeah, it's the only country station in the whole country." But I got a wide taste. I mean, you can change it. If you, no, no, I like country music. We go out to dinner. We're talking, and she, I said a couple things, and she said. I have to ask, just kind of based off what you just said, are you conservative? 
And I said, I, I am a conservative. Yes, I am. She goes, oh, wow, so am I. And we were talking some more. She goes, wait a minute, are you a Christian? I said, I am a Christian. And she said, your country music, you're conservative, and you're like, you're a Christian. I think I'm in love with you. She said. <laughs> so we, um, we, we got engaged fairly quickly because yeah. uh, within six months, but we only saw each other maybe two months out of that whole six months because I'm in New Zealand, she's in L.A. And uh, then we got married one year later. So yeah, and now we got three kids ourselves. That's fantastic. And so um, you did not grow up in the Hollywood scene. You didn't no. grow up in California. Let, let's go I'm back. I'm still not part of the Hollywood Very scene, good. but yeah, that's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> but let, let's go back. T tell us about okay. your background, where you grew up, and what like early life was like for you. I, uh, I grew up, uh, I'm the fourth of five kids. My, my dad was a school teacher for 35 years, um, seventh and eighth grade math and biology. Uh, I all said, oh my gosh, Dad, 35 years of puberty. I don't know how you were able to handle it, you know. But uh, And then um, my mother was a nurse, but quickly became a stay-at-home mom with five kids. Uh, we live in a little town called Mound, Minnesota, which is about 25 miles west of Minneapolis. And we're on the beautiful shores of Lake Minnetonka. And for those who don't know, and a lot of people don't know, that's where Tonka toys were made. Tonka Lake toys. Minnetonka. Okay. Came from there. So I grew up in a very athletic neighborhood. We had dead-end streets and cul-de-sac in today's world, right? And uh, we probably had 25 kids and about seven, eight homes in that neighborhood. Always playing sports, always active. So I grew up playing football, basketball, baseball, and golf. My dad in the summers worked at a golf course that introduced the game to me. But, uh, you know, just great parents, really, and great, a really supportive community for not only for, for, for the school system, which was very good and still very good there, considering how bad our public education is as a whole, but that's a whole other topic. And, um, <laughs> and uh, um, sports-wise, you know, half the town show up to watch football and basketball games, and uh, that, was, that was my life. I really, really enjoyed that. And, um, you know, church was every Sunday. I grew up in a Lutheran household, which is very typical of Minnesota. I'm Scandinavian, 100% Norwegian, second generation. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had a Norman Rockwell sort of growing up you know i mean I, it was it was interesting for me to when i got into college and really get in a little bit more of the real world and get on my little protective bubble just to see i didn't know about things like racism and anti-semite and all that I, mean, I didn't have that we had one jewish guy in my old high school sean perry and i remember in seventh grade he said yeah we get seven days of presents and i said mom can we be jewish because look at that <laughs> they get seven days they get to celebrate you know so um it was uh you know i in one hand you know you grow up in that little town in that era Kids today are so much more informed because of the internet, yeah. which is kind of the Wild West. But, um, you know, I, I loved how I grew up and where I grew up. I'm still very good friends with friends of mine that I've had since, since I was five years old. Yeah. We still keep in touch. And so growing up, did you have a dream to become an actor or to oh, get yeah. into Hollywood? Oh, yeah. How, how'd this all come about? Uh, we have, in Minneapolis, I was only a half hour drive away. Um, the Guthrie Theater. It's a very famous theater. A lot of people on Broadway, anybody that's a stage actor knows of the Guthrie because eventually anything on Broadway or Chicago, whatever, ends up there eventually. Uh, very supportive of the, of the arts there. And I was 11 years old. We went as a field trip to the Guthrie to see um, The Merchant of Venice and Shakespeare. I don't know what the heck they were saying. I mean, I was way yeah. over my head, Shakespeare stuff, but I was, I was mesmerized by the actors and uh, by just the whole, the whole thing, just re I said, like, ah, you know, I, re I really liked it. And I grew up with my mom watching a lot of old movies, watching them black and white. So with Katherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart and Cary Grant, and, you know, Spencer Tracy, all the guys I really admired, Jimmy Stewart. 
And uh, so it was kind of there, the seed was always there. And that ride home after the Guthrie Theater, I told my mom I want to be an actor. Mm. And she went, that's nice, dude. I got a little pat in the leg, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but only mom's But I didn't tell stuff. anybody, because I know cliques still exist in schools. And I was a jock. And we made fun of the drama class, you know. But the whole time, I wanted to be in there. I wanted to check <laughs> what was going on. So it wasn't until I got into college I really started um, kind of playing around with it and be, being more active with it. But once I got out, it was just, it was full bore. Yeah. And so obviously uh, you, you already mentioned uh, Hercules and, sure. and that, but how did that come about? How did that opportunity come about well, for you? You know, I was one of the lucky ones. I, I, Minneapolis is home to a lot of huge companies. You got Best Buy, Target, 3M, Honeywell, Pillsbury, General Mills, all these commercials being shot there. So during my college years, I made good money doing commercials. And so I had a great commercial reel. So when I moved out here, I had no problem getting a commercial agent because I was already established and they knew of the commercials, that's their world. And I worked very, very well uh, doing commercials. Uh, I gotta say I had a little sidetrack though because I, I met a girl, as happens in college, and she moved to Dallas, Texas. So I followed her there first. Okay. And I spent a year and a half in Dallas. Um, and they have actually a very active print and uh, television commercial world as well. And then. She was a big time model. She said, look, I'm gonna to go to Europe. I was ready to move to LA. She goes, come and spend one summer with me before I go to LA. So I said, you know, why not? Three months in Italy, what the heck? So I go over to Italy with her and three months turns into three and a half years. Mm. I lived in Munich for a year and a half. I lived in uh, Germany, I mean, in, in, in Milan, Italy. Uh, I lived in uh, Paris for six months, London. I mean, it was, my parents were sort of, I thought you're moving to LA. When you start, you know, but I said, I'm not calling you for money, am I? I'm working myself. You know, they always instill hard work. You do your own work, which I believe today, don't look for handouts. Anyway, that's one other thing. Um, I, I, I have no regrets of that. Yeah. I have no regrets. Um, so I, I got, I didn't get to LA. I went for Christmas after three and a half years in Europe, went home for Christmas, called my agent in LA and said, I'm coming out there and spend a couple weeks here with family and friends. They called me a couple days later and said, look, we got a client who saw your reel, they want to meet with you. They're going to pick either you or another guy for a commercial in Australia. Mm. And it's a huge international commercial, it's going to pay you unbelievable. And I went, I just got home. And they said, well, I'm just telling you, if you're not here, you probably won't get it. So I talked to my mom and dad about it after Christmas. I drove down like December 27th, load up everything I had in my world at that time and uh, stayed at a friend of a friend's house met the clients, two days later I'm on a plane to Sydney, Australia, and I stayed for eight months. <laughs> I called my agent in LA and go, I thought you were just gonna go down there for 10 days. Said, I wrote a book report of this country when I was a kid and I, I, I really wanted to, uh, to uh, stay there for a while and I shot seven commercials, did two plays and had a blast. Finally get to LA, I'm now 27. Okay, <laughs> you, know? you took the long route. I took the long route to get here. I thought I'd be here by 22, but I took the long, long route. Um, I was almost 28, yeah, because I was on the road for almost six years. And uh, so I was a late starter in getting out of here, but uh, started working right away commercially. So uh, when, they, when they approached me for the role of Hercules, uh, at first I told my agent, I said, Look, I'm a I'm an athletic guy, but they're gonna want some, you know, six foot six, 340 pound steroid no neck guy for this role. And I said, no, they're looking for an NFL quarterback size guy. They want a decathlon type of guy. So when I went in, um, it was seven auditions over a couple month period. I got done the last three guys, like 2,800 actors they looked at for yeah, this role. Yeah. So I had the last three guys. I'm at Universal Studios. There's a big black building about I don't know 20 stories high there as you enter uh, the Universal Studios. And we call it the place where the building where people go to die because it's the rejection capital of the world. And so 
I get up there, and uh, Sam Raimi was one of our exec producers. He did the Evil Dead series. He did Spider-Man, directed all his movies. And he was our exec producer. And there's like 20 people in there, all, um, men and women, all the hot, big people from Universal that decide yeah. what goes on TV. So I read again, and I walked out, and I went up to Vancouver to do a guest spot on the Commish, Michael Chiklis' show at that time. And three days later, they called me, and they said, um, you got the role. You're going to be Hercules. So I walked back on the set the checklist and I said, I want more crap from you. I am now half God. <laughs> and uh, I went into extra training with the person they wanted me to work with, Douglas Wong, who was one of Bruce Lee's original students. I did that for a few months before going to New Zealand. It was originally going to be five two-hour movies. Anthony Quinn playing Zeus. I got a whole year with Anthony Quinn, which was amazing. And uh, I knew by the third movie, I said, they're going to make this a series. I told my manager, and sure enough, like three weeks later, they said, you're staying. And we went for seven years. Could have gone longer. I, I went on to do Andromeda. I got an offer. To, I got a mob, mafia offer from, from Majel Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry's widow, that I couldn't refuse. And I was a big Star Trek fan. So yeah. for me to do the first, be the first captain, Captain Dylan Hunt, after Captain Kirk, I couldn't resist that opportunity. But uh, Hercules was was amazing, and Andromeda was fun for me too. It was five years, and that would have gone longer, but the company that owned us, Tribune, went into bankruptcy. Yeah. But I had 12 straight years of uh, pretty much being out of America, because shot Andromeda up in beautiful Vancouver, Canada. Yeah. So yeah. it was a great 12-year uh, run, no complaints. And you had something really profound that mm. happened to you uh, during your time in Hercules. Yeah. You had a health I did. Scare. Let's talk about that. And how did your faith play a role in all that? You know, it's um, it, it was in the season five, and we were about a little more than four months away from Sam and I getting married, and I was having problems with my left shoulder. I couldn't figure what was going on with it. And these three fingers were numb and cold all the time. And I was like, I was doing all my own stunts. I'm working 14 hours a day. I'm lifting weights two hours a day. I mean, I was, I was maybe averaging four to four and a half hours of sleep a night up through the first five years of that series. Uh, not that I'm complaining, I had a blast doing it. Sure. I just, I just, I don't remember dreaming because the minute my head hit the pillow, the arm went off. It'd be like four and a half hours to be gone like that. And I and I was doing, like I said, most of my own stunts, so I kind of blew it off. My doctor back uh, home here in Los Angeles, I told him what was going on, he said, you know, you do a lot of stunts, Kevin, you probably hit your ulnar nerve like hockey players do. That can create the numbness down here, and that can last for months, he said. So I blew it off. I go to, and I come back home to do my first big publicity machine for, um, uh, Herc I mean, for my first movie, it was called The Call the Conqueror. I shot over in Croatia and Slovakia. And uh, I was up, up in Boston, and I saw a doctor there because it was just killing me. They sent a doctor to the hotel, and his name was Dr. Die. Ah. I said, time to change your name. I don't care. <laughs> Dr. Die doesn't work for the, your profession. And uh, he, he hit it. He said, you got something cardiovascular there. Go back to LA, my doctor finds a lump way up here in my left subclavicle. He thought it was cancer. Didn't tell me that at first, told me this afterwards. And he said, I we need to do a biopsy. We need to check this thing out. And I said, okay. But I went to see my chiropractor, who I've been seeing for eight years. And I, thought, I lay on the table, I heard a voice inside my head said, don't let him crack your neck. And I thought that's so weird. He has never cracked my neck ever in eight years. He knows I don't like a crack. Voice says it again. So I'm arguing with the voice in my head. He cracks my neck. That, uh, lump ended up being an aneurysm. Oh, I'd have been my. spitting blood clots in my arm for, for months. That crack forced three of the clots in my brain. I suffered three strokes. Um, one speech, one vision, one balance. Fortunate, I guess, in one way, because it could have killed me instantly. could be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. But um, I went from a guy that was in better shape than most athletes in their 20s, and I'm in my 30s at this time, to a guy that couldn't even stand up and walk. I spent the next four months learning how to even stand up and balance again. 
and it was uh, three roads, three years to the road to recovery for me. And I, I, I've always been a Christian, but I never needed faith yeah. until this huge roadblock entered my life. And it was, it was tough. I mean, there was a moment when I got out of ICU after a couple weeks, uh, I remember pulling myself on the staircase up to the top floor of the building I was at. I was just one floor below the upstairs where I had this pool area and stuff. And it was two, three in the morning, full moon out. And I remember just weeping and crying and praying. And I just said, you know, why? You know, I just felt like somebody had died. And it was, it was the old Kevin because I knew I'd never be that same person again. Universal was gearing me up to take over for Arnold Schwarzenegger as the next action guy. And all that stuff was just stripped away from me. I'm, I'm grateful they kept the series still going. I went back down four months after the strokes. And I went from a 14-hour workday to one hour a day. Wow. Just somehow to stay, uh, to keep the show going, because the show was number one show in the world. It was a huge cash cow for them. And I w I'm grateful for it because it gave me hope. It gave me yeah. a, this, this light at the end of a ridiculously long um, dark tunnels in. And I remember one of the, one of the um, neurologists I was seeing, I said, you know, just like a week before the wedding, I'm four months into my rehab now, and I told Sam we should maybe call it off. I told her, I said, maybe we shouldn't get married. I don't know what my recovery is going to be. I don't want to be, she's getting the worst part first before she says for better or worse. And I said, I don't want to put this burden on your life. And she stuck by my side. And the doctor said, uh, don't put your life on hold. And I love that line. Because a lot of us do put everything on hold. We get so busy in our own worlds and so crazed that our, we're so self-important. When there's so many other things out there, pay attention to your kids more. They come into my office now, I make sure I stop what I'm doing. They want to talk, sit down, let's talk. Yeah. You know, it's, made, it's been a gift for me in so many ways that, I, um, that I, I, I learned to have far more patience in my life and be far more grateful for it. God and I wrestled, trust me. Yeah. But you will lose that battle yeah. every time. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, but my wife kept bugging me to write a book, write a book, write a book, and I don't want to do that because you know we're men, we got our egos, and we're we're afraid to we're afraid to uh, to expose the weaknesses yeah. that we have. But so I didn't write this until my gosh, it was it was a, more than a decade after the strokes. Yeah. And it has opened doors for me that I thought it would never open before. Go ahead, you can read yes. the title. So <laughs> Kevin is referring to his book called True Strength: My Journey from Hercules to Mere Mortal and how nearly dying saved my life. And uh, for those of you who are seeing on video, there's a copy of the, the cover of the book. So uh, this was in 11, 2011, yeah. right? When that came out? Yeah. And he here's the interesting on in that book. Sam, my wife was completely right about this. Uh, I, I, at first I went out and just did bookstores because that's what, you know, when it opened up and Barnes and Noble and play had me come out there and I was blown away by the crowds because they were Hercules fans and whatever and Andromeda fans. Cause I even waited until after the series Andromeda. And I had, Cancer survivors, car crash survivors, heart attacks. It wasn't just stroke. People said, your book made me stop feeling sorry for myself. Wow. Your book motivated me. Yeah. Because my wife would always, whenever I got down, I'm a very strong-willed person, but whenever I got down, my wife would say, it happened. Yeah. What are you going to do? Because too many times I think we get, a, a roadblock is thrown up in our lives. We just give up. And it was, I, and I said, it sucked. Because I had all kinds of problems going on. And the worst thing was, the vertigo, no matter if I was seated, standing, or lying down, I kept, I, was, I felt like I was falling backwards, 24 oh. hours a day. That lasted for two years until it slowly started to stop. And it drove me crazy. And it was just, it was just tough. And, um, but I'm grateful for that, that, that book. And it, and it opened a door for me I thought I'd never be doing. I do a lot of speaking events now. And that has been unbelievable. I've been averaging 15 a year for the last six, seven years now. 
So it's been incredible. Wow, that's fantastic. And so, what, as the scripture says, what the mm -hmm. devil meant for evil, God has turned into yeah. his glory and his story. Oh, he tried to warn me. That was yeah. a voice in my head. Yeah. You know, I got atheist friends. We have to discuss, oh, that wasn't God. That was your gut feeling. I go, okay. Yeah. So call it a gut feeling. <laughs> How many times have you walked back in your college days or high school days, you're by yourself, you're in a city, whatever, and you're, I'm going to take a shortcut down this alley. And you, you hear a voice, nah, don't go down that way. Yeah. Yeah. Call it what you want. Yeah. You know, call it what you want, it's the Holy but Spirit the warning speaking. was there right. and I blew it off. And as a fr good friend of mine said, what are you going to do now when you hear that voice? I said, I'm going to listen to it. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, but it, it did open a door for yeah. me. Yeah. Kevin, what we're really hoping to do with this program at Bottom mm -hmm. Line Faith is really to help uh, Christ followers who are in business and in leadership mm -hmm. and in the marketplace sure. influence culture, um, really integrate their faith into what they're doing uh, in the marketplace. So could we talk just for a moment about the business side of acting and the business side mm -hmm. of show business? It is called show business. It is business. show business. Effort, so yeah. um, what would you have to say about just what would you teach us or tell us about the business side that maybe most of us wouldn't know about? Well, I think it can apply to any business, really. Yeah. Um, I just think Hollywood has more rejection than other businesses do, but every business has politics in it. Every business has rejection in it. Yeah. And, and for me, um, I think we discussed earlier uh, when we were off camera about I used to caddy at this private uh, Jewish country club as it, when I was in college. And I caddied for very wealthy, successful guys, whether they were 25 or 75. Mm -hmm. And they were already big success in the younger guys and bigger, bigger success than the ones that have been on for decades. And they, uh, I said, how did you get to where you are? I asked this of all these guys. So I, covered, I did it for two summers out there. And they all said, well, I failed. And then I failed again, and then I failed again. And they taught me that failure is a positive, not a negative. You gotta take all those things that come out of those failures. Okay, take the best things out of that, get rid of that because that doesn't work. And that really was amazing for me in terms of getting out to a city, an industry like Tinseltown here, that deals with so much rejection because, you know, you're too tall, you're too young, you're too old, you're too fat, you're too, there's always some reason why they don't want you. It's, it, it's a, the audition process is absolutely horrible. And I, 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 there were so many good actors in my acting classes, and yet I had the success that I had, and I think that one advantage I had was I always knew I was gonna have success. I was gonna get it no matter what, but I was gonna do it in, in a good way, in a proper way, in a business way. I remember my old commercial agent, because uh, I'd find out from other actors, hey, there's this commercial I'm going on. I call up, why didn't you get me on? Oh, Kevin, come on, I got 100 other clients. I said, I don't care about your 100 other clients. They don't care about me. <laughs> I want the opportunity to be rejected. Yeah. That's why I looked at it. Get me in there. I pounded the pavement. I'm, I'm not, I went, I got myself in the best acting classes. I auditioned for the, I, I started with three different coaches over six years. And um, they were the top ones in the industry. And I remember, I remember one, um, he passed of AIDS back in 96, but he was Roy London, amazing acting coach. And that class alone was myself, it was Matthew Perry, it was Brad Pitt. Um, it was uh, Charlotte Ross, I mean, all wonderful actors that went on to have huge careers in, in different ways. And um, I remember after two years, because Roy, you only worked maybe once a month. I wanted to work every week I was in class. And when I left, Roy called me up and he says, Kevin, you have to come in the office, we got to talk. And I said, Roy, I got a commercial audition, I'll be by your area, I'll come by then. So he sat down in his office, started talking, and he said, yeah, but you learned so much by watching. I said, I don't disagree with that but I watch a lot of basketball on TV and I'm not getting better by watching it. You get better by doing. You have to put those miles on. So then I got into a class that I worked twice a weekend for, the, for two years 
prior to Hercules, and I think that made a big difference for me as well. You got to get up there and do it. Got to get up. And failure is a big part of that. Failure right? is a huge part of it. Yeah. And yeah. people, a lot of people, I'm telling you, like even an illness, you get these things happen to your life, and that's my book is is, is semi autobiographical, but it also is motivational. There's a lot of humor in there too. It's not meant to be a downer book. Yeah. And life isn't meant to be a downer. Life, life doesn't promise you success. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of competition out there, and competition's a good thing. It makes people yeah. better. Yeah. When the next Michael Jordan comes along, the next Tiger Woods comes along, when the next uh, Bill Gates comes along, it motivates people to want to get better, and that's a good thing. Absolutely. And and as I'm listening to you talk, you know, what's in my mind is performance, 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 mm -hmm. uh, and appearance, appearance, appearance. And there's a lot of parallels between an acting career and a business career sure. because it, it is about performance. You yeah. have to have results. So how does that tension work with a, as being a follower of Christ when being a follower of Christ is not about performance, it's about trust, it's about faith. Mm -hmm. How do you balance those two tensions? You know, it, it's interesting. When I'm, on a, when I'm on a set, I still get nervous like it was my first day. I'm, I'm much more confident in myself and I know I'm a better actor than I was 20 years ago as well. But I, I will still, I will, I will pray real quickly before I do a scene. I will, uh, you know, the butterflies are good. I remember acting coach saying butterflies are good, nervousness is good, means you're still alive. And uh, I like that. I love being on the set. I love the creative process. And in the business world too, I mean, you, they, most of them have products to sell, whatever that product may be, right? And as an actor, you're your own product. Yeah. So maybe you take that rejection a little more personally. <laughs> but, because they say, you're not good enough for us. But um, I, it really comes down to, I got friends, like I said, I got agnostic and atheist friends. And I said, you don't have to be religious to have something called the grateful prayer. And I go, what's that? Be grateful. Be grateful you're sitting in a car. Be grateful the sun's out there. Be grateful you got hot water. That you have a pillow when you go to bed at night. Wow. Because we take a lot of things for granted. Yeah. And that's not my idea. That came from a doctor that I know and told me that. Because here's a guy who told me that I need to look at this as a gift. To look at it as a gift? Are you kidding me? <laughs> this was like, this just was horrible for me to have to go through what I went through. But as, as time went on, I understood what he was saying. Yeah. And you have to look at the hardships in life as, a, as more of a positive than negative. Because as my dad used to tell me, he goes, if your life is perfect and everything's wonderful, just wait a while. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not always going to stay that way. Yeah. And, and, and I think we live in a society now that's so right now. Everything is right now. You know, everything on the internet is six second sound bites, you know, people have no, no attention span anymore. And that's kind of sad in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I try to work with my kids with that as well. And, and it's, it's, um, we live just, it's just fast paced and it's only going to get faster. That's right. It's not slowing down. You know, everything on from Facebook to Twitter to whatever, you know, everybody's got to be doing stuff constantly all the time. As Robin Williams called it, kitty cocaine, you know, it's just, you got to constantly be doing this stuff. And um, it's it's okay to stop and relax and smell the roses every once in a while. Yeah, I'm, I, as I'm listening, I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul says, uh, for it has been granted you a gift of suffering, not just to believe mm. on Christ Jesus, but to suffer for him. Mm. That, it is a gift, it but we don't gift. always see it that way, right? No. The hard parts, the hard journey. No, and I think there's miracles every day. People just don't pay attention to me. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be walking on water. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, I had the doctors telling me that after, after eight months, my neurologist saying, whatever you're going through, you're gonna have to live with the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, after eight months, I still wasn't doing great. Yeah. I had some improvement, but I said, they're wrong. And I spoke in front of 1,600 neurologists in San Diego a few years ago, and I said, there's a reason what they call what you guys do at practice. You know? I got half laughter, and they're half are like, what? <laughs> I'm a doctor. You know? but, but they're still, you know, yeah. they, they still don't know the answer to everything. Yeah. And you have to have some faith and trust 
beyond in medicine. I believe what these guys do. I, you know, the advances that we've had in the medical field in the last 50 years compared to the last 500 years is unbelievable. Right. And it's only going to get bigger and better. But you know, it's uh, you got to have a little faith in your world too. Kevin, one of the, the kind of the, the areas that we love to get into here at the program, mm -hmm. Bottom Line Faith, is what I call our advice section. So I've got uh -huh. just a handful of questions around advice, both advice you've received and advice you'd like to pass along. Mm -hmm. So um, as you think back over your life and perhaps even your career, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? See, the best piece is difficult. So I think there's a lot of, and we already brought up a couple of them. Um, like I told you about my father saying life is perfect, just wait a while. I mean, yeah. I thought that was great. Uh, I, we, you, you said it, and one of my best friends said it to me before I moved out here to L.A. He says, remember, it's called show business, not show show. And I always loved that because it is a business. So treat it like a business. And I know I went into this city not knowing a person out here. I know I went into it with a five, the double uh, uh, major marketing advertising. So I market and advertise myself, I tell people. But... I, I definitely came out here with a business mode, treated it like a business. I pounded pavement. I, I went to the places that I, I, I re put letters out to people all the time. Um, like I said, I got the right acting coaches. I mean, to me, it's you got you have to take those chances. Yeah. As corny as follow your dream is, follow your dream. Yeah. You know, you yeah. have to you have to do that because I think I think way too many people give up and they once again. I think in youth, it's a great Mark Twain quote, you know, youth is wasted on the young. I think there's, there's an impatience that happens in every generation that is similar. I see it in my own kids. And I say, you think you're different than I was when I was 16? I said, we didn't have the internet. We had Pong, it was kind of boring, the Pong game, but you know, you guys got amazing graphics now. But the reality is, I still had the same impatience that they did. I was ready, oh, okay, I'm 16, so I'm ready. I gotta get out to the world and do this. You know, relax and enjoy that. I mean, I am so grateful for that sidetrack trip I took three and a half years in Europe because it matured me. Yeah. Because I was over there and I had to make my own money. I had to try to understand a foreign language in each country, try to read the, you know, the subway things. And I mean, but it really helped me to grow up um, because there weren't English postings all around, you know? So it was, it was really a wonderful way for me to, to grow up and mature. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to just get out there and, and Hit it hard. The rejection is yeah. going to be part of it. That failure we talked about earlier. Yeah, and 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 a lot of times there's this entitlement mentality of the yeah. of the next generation oh, yeah. that, we are, that we're constantly battling and that sort of thing. So I really appreciate that. So, kind of in the same vein, let's mm -hmm. um, let's pretend that you have a chance to sit across the table from a 20 year old Kevin Sorbo, and you get to advise yourself at mm -hmm. age 20. What 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 counsel or advice would you give yourself? Don't think you know everything. Because you never will. I'm still learning at the age I am now. And I thought I knew everything at 15 and 20 and 25 and 30. And each five to seven year period that went by, I looked back at that age and went, I didn't know anything. And I'm learning all the time. And uh, patience would probably be the biggest thing. Try to find some patience in your life. And don't, don't worry. We worry so much about so many things that never come true, That's never so true. happen. That's so true. We waste so much time on that. And, uh, you know, and I have that with my kids. I have that with my wife. We have a back and forth with that. And I said, well, what are we worrying about this for right now? Nothing. All this negativity we're putting out there, it hasn't happened yet. So when it happens, then we'll deal with it when it happens. Right now, we're, we're wasting time. 
Yeah, fantastic. I have one more question just kind of in this advice section and I'd love to talk about what you're working on now, mm -hmm. the projects and where God's taken you at this point. So uh, usually the last question I ask in my interviews uh, is based out of Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. And Solomon writes these words. Uh, he says, above all else, guard your heart for from mm -hmm. it flows all of life. And so let's just kind of hit fast forward on the clock and right. say that you're at the tail end of your time, this side of eternity. You have a chance to, gra uh, to gather your family, your friends, mm -hmm. your love, those who are most precious to you. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna pass along the single most important piece of advice for you forever. So would you fill in the blank for us? Above all else. Be filled with love instead of hate. We're in a very hateful world right now, a very divisive world, a very angry world. And it gets us nothing. It gets us absolutely nothing. And I, I find the people that scream that, that, that you know, they're screaming for love, that they're, they're the ones filled with the most hate right now. It's weird to me, it's strange. It's, everything's like a bilateral, funky, sci-fi world here right now. And uh, we, gotta, we gotta find a place where where we have a live and let live sort of mentality instead of being so angry about everything. You know, we live in a political correct world that's just crazy right now. You're gonna say my favorite color is blue and you're gonna find somebody out there that's gonna get angry for it. You're just saying that. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's like you're refereeing a basketball game. Whatever you do, half the people are gonna say, yeah, and the other half are going, no, you suck. You know? <laughs> so we're in that place right now. It's just like, my gosh. And, and I think a lot of the anger comes from people that are just unsettled and unhappy with their own lives because they didn't turn out the way they wanted it to. Their dreams were broken. Their dream, everybody's got a string of broken dreams. Everybody carries a sack behind them filled with heartache and frustration. Uh, you have to find a place to turn that into a more positive world. Otherwise, it's just going to get worse for you. Yeah. Because all the hate you want to have towards somebody else out there, they don't even know about you and they don't even care. And all you're doing is hurting yourself. You're destroying the inside of yourself. It's like an internal cancer. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to the world of ulcers. You know, people getting hate and filled and, and creating their own health hazards because of their anger towards something else. But the reality is uh, the Michael Jackson song, Man in the Mirror. Look in the mirror. Yeah. That's where it starts. And start giving more positive messages to yourself instead of negative messages to other people. That's fantastic. So really that big, big, big piece of advice is just love. Yeah. Just love. Just love. Fantastic. Let's transition as we wrap things up today. Let's talk about uh, what you're working on now. Um, you know, prior to getting a chance to sit down with you, kind of, somebody asked me a couple of days ago, what do you think you're going to hear from Kevin? And I says, well, if, if my research and reading and watching online tells me anything, this is a man who deeply, deeply, deeply cares about influencing culture, who mm -hmm. deeply cares about transforming the world with the love of Jesus Christ and truth. Mm -hmm. Did I get that close Lies, lies don't like the truth, do they? That's right. Did I get People, that close? Well, yeah, I think okay. I, I'll take that. Thank you. But my, my resume is going to have that on there. Um, like I said, with the anger going out there right now, but you, you, you point, point out statistics, facts, and truth to so much of the world right now, they don't want to hear that. Yeah. They'd rather live a lie, which is which is really sad to me. So that's that's a battle in itself right there. Yeah. So can we talk about some of the projects you've got sure. working on? You've got a couple of things well, back here. Well, Let There Be Light did yeah. very well. Yeah. Um, I directed it, I acted it, my wife wrote it, she acted it, along with Dan Gordon who wrote it, a great writer. And uh, it did very well in theaters in October, November, December. It just came out in DVD, so it's Let There Be Light. Yeah. And Let There Be Light is a, uh, I play the world's greatest atheist. Think of Dawkins or Hitchens, yeah. and 
Is that on DVD now? You can get it on Walmart, you can get it at uh, Amazon, VOD, yeah. um, or order the DVD wherever, Best Buy, it's all over the place. And it's a wonderful family uh, movie. It's a story about my character who's this, he travels the world, he puts out books that are just, God doesn't exist. And he spends so much time hating something he doesn't believe in <laughs> and uh, makes, a, makes a good living at it. And then he has a life-changing uh, event that completely alters his worldview and sends him into a tailspin. And the only one that he can trust is his ex-wife, who they divorced eight years earlier when their eight-year-old son died. That sent him over the hill. Um, he's, he's a drinker, he's a drug addict, he's got all these problems in the world, and something happens to him that changes his worldview. And uh, so it's, uh, it's out there, and it's a wonderful, wonderful movie, and I hope people check it out. So uh, I have a movie coming out in, I think it's October, called One Nation Under God. Hmm. And that one I play a nice nice high school teacher instead of a bad guy. <laughs> and uh, he has a debate class and that topic comes up to put that back into the Pledge of Allegiance. And um, that's what Lisa Arnold directed that. She's one of the producers in God's Not Dead. I've got another movie called The Reliant. It's a Christian action movie, full on action movie, dealing with, it's political as well, it deals with the economic collapse of America. That'll be out probably in, probably in January, but then I did a family movie, Dol uh, Bernie the Dolphin, it's a Disney type movie that'll be in theaters December 18th. And I just got f a movie financed um, that uh, we're gonna be doing, uh, making fun of the political correctness. Uh -uh. I'll get a few picketers on that one, but that's okay. <laughs> it's a comedy, it's very funny. It's in the vein of Naked Gun and um, uh, Airplane, David Zucker type movies. Uh, I'm doing the next Left Behind movie. I'm directing that one wow, as well. Wow, wow. That'll be shot up in Toronto with the Cloud 10 production team up there. And um, just uh, just busy, I got a lot of stuff going on. And, and we have new TV series, we're gonna shoot in South Africa. So I think a Little House in Prairie, so a Little House in South Africa, and it's gonna be a new TV show. How about that, a TV show, it's gonna have good values in it. So um, it's been a long time since, you know, Touched by an Angel. This is more like Punched by an Angel, but um, <laughs> it's, gonna be, it's gonna be a good ride. Last question. Okay. There, it, it, we talked about this before recording, that <clears throat> okay. success for this program is if one mm -hmm. person, yep. one person would listen to your story, listen to your comments and your thoughts, and they could be encouraged. They mm -hmm. could, uh, maybe they're going through a really dark time right now, they're discouraged, but you know, maybe there's somebody listening to this or watching this right now, and they're, they're just at a down place. Maybe they're a business mm -hmm. person who's had an idea or a dream or something, and they just feel like it's been quenched. Sure. Just close us out. Uh, Kevin, if you would, with just a word of encouragement for that one person who needs to hear a word of encouragement from Kevin Sorbo. I'm going to say something my wife said to me when I was going through my own illness. She said, every day I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to look in the mirror and say, I'm getting better and I'm getting stronger. I'm getting better, I'm getting stronger. Negativity is a cancer. It's a horrible thing. And now people get down. Suicide rates are high. People think there's nobody out there for them. There's always going to be somebody out there for them. Um, go find a church. I know people think some people, it's hard to invite people to come to a church. It is, because so many people, ah, I don't want to go. They get nervous, they get uncomfortable. Go by yourself. Go, go around your neighborhood. There's dozens of churches in your area, five, 10, 15 miles away from you, and find a place that fits for you. Don't be afraid to go in there and talk to somebody. I mean, I remember being called up at a Billy Graham concert uh, Billy Graham uh, revival, there's 200,000 people there. I was a 13, 14 year old kid, and after he spoke, I was blown away by him. And after he said, please come up and speak with, I mean, come talk, pray, whatever. And I just went up there just to talk. And it was a moving moment for me. It was an incredible moment for, for me in my life and my, my faith. You have to find a place where, where, where hope. We, we're looking for hope, people looking for self-esteem. And you can't, 
it's so easy to give up. It's so easy to get down and get negative. I mean, we, we, the way we put out TV shows and movies and, uh, you know, you have to be successful, have to be successful. Find your own success in your own way. Don't be so intimidated. Don't be so down. Don't be, see, don't be so nervous about, about asking things. I tell my kids, I said, no question's a dumb question, guys. Yeah. No question's a dumb question. And I, I know there's people out there hurt. I've had plenty of people come to me after re reading my book saying, I've had people write to me and say, I was going to commit suicide until I wrote your book. That blows my mind. Yeah. And I feel the same way. If I go to a speaking event, if I can have my movie, have one person. I had a woman walk up to me at the airport in Salt Lake City a couple years ago. She said, are you Kevin Sorbo, the actor from God's Not Dead? I said, I am. And I could tell she was from the Middle East somewhere. She says, I'm from Iraq. She had a beautiful little seven-year-old daughter with her. And she says, I am Muslim. I saw your movie. I became a Christian because of your movie. And she broke down and started crying. And she said, I just got baptized. I blew my mind. One person. And it's one person at a time. We think we can't do anything. If everybody volunteered, if you do one little thing, in a year, imagine this country alone, 340 million people, and they just did one little thing to help somebody else in, a, in, in one, one day out of your life in a year. The difference it would make? We, get, we just say, oh, what can I do? It's like the mentality, oh, my vote won't count. Yeah, it counts. So get out and vote. <laughs> you know? Make your life better. Kevin Sorbo, right. thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Folks, this has just uh, been an amazing conversation with Kevin Sorbo. Uh, here at Bottom Line Faith. And if this is the first time that you've come across our program, go to the website at bottomlinefaith.org. Why don't you become a regular subscriber? You can get interviews like this into your inbox, into your mobile device every single week as we travel the country interviewing top CEOs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and of course, athletes and entertainers like Kevin. And so until next time, I'm your host at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert saying God bless and serve the Lord faithfully in the marketplace. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.